0: Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. We invite Elisa Thursfield, Head of Employment at Gamlin's Law and Director of HR Anchor, on how we stand as employers when it comes to mental health and the law. The common mistakes and the fines associated with them. This one is certainly an eye-opener and proof that you really can't afford not to have some sort of mental health support. This is just a small part of what EveryMind at Work does. If you think it could help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. And as ever, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome everyone to a another webinar. Really appreciate everyone taking the time out to join us today. This seems like a popular subject and I'm glad we've got an expert on our hands to, to answer questions. I'm sure I will struggle to answer and questions I don't even want to answer. Let's just put it there. Um, so really looking forward to this session with Alyssa today. So we're going to be discussing obviously mental health. And the law, and talking about small mistakes that businesses can make that can lead to big problems as well. So, as always, really appreciate you all taking the time out to join us today. Can we just get a hello from Zoe? Sorry, can you give us a hello? Another hello.
1: Oh, you mean a hello? Hello? I mean, Audio
0: wise. <laughs> there we go. Audio wise. <laughs> don't, don't confuse um, me,
1: Paul. Don't confuse me. Hello, mid-week. guys. Hello, guys. I'm I'm Zoe Parker I'm the head of HR at EveryMind at work um, and I'm delighted that so many of you have joined us today I love employment law so I'm super excited that uh, that Alyssa's joined us today I've seen quite a few of her webinars and she's fab so hopefully you'll, you'll get lots out of it so yeah thanks for joining us
0: and Alyssa can you just give us a um, hello just to test your audio I know you're going to do your own introduction in a minute <laughs>
1: Well, good morning,
2: everybody. Um, thanks for everybody signing
0: on. Lovely introduction from Zoe there. It's very kind of you. <laughs> cool, awesome. So, guys, um, I can see you putting in the chat box. If you can let us know, all the audio is okay, especially for Alyssa. Um, she's going to be leading this session today. Excellent. Um, thank you, Wendy. Good stuff, good stuff. So in terms of who we are, obviously we're everymindatwork.com. We're on a mission to revolutionize workplace mental health. We do that via a variety of products. One of them is our mental health support app that sits on your employees' phones. We're really looking to partner with businesses to save them time, money, and resources when it comes to mental health. We believe that we need to move away from that reactive approach to mental health, which businesses still take, and move more towards a proactive solution and that's something that we do. And obviously I'm Paul, the founder of Every Mind at Work. I share my own personal experience of my own mental health journeys and um, it's a huge passion and purpose of mine as well. But today is not about us, today is about Alyssa. Um, so what we're gonna do is me and Zoe are just gonna jump off and we're gonna let Alyssa walk us through this and then we're gonna jump in with a Q&A. So guys, if you have any questions um, around um, mental health and the law especially within the workplace we're going to do a Q&A towards the end of this session so please ask your questions there as well all right Alyssa you good to go
2: Great, thanks very much, Paul. Um, no, thanks no, for having me on today. Um, it's a real um, pleasure to be partnering with Every Mind um, on this session. Um, it's it's an app that I use myself, and you know I certainly see the benefit of it, and think it's a fantastic initiative. So, um, like I say, really really pleased to be involved today. Um, so, what I'm here to talk about is um, mental health, the workplace, and a bit of employment law as well, to try and demystify um, some of the rules and regulations around dealing with mental health at work, and also to give you a bit of an idea and illustration of what it can cost your business if you get it wrong and also some simple um, steps on, on how you can get it right. So in terms of my background, I'm Head of Employment um, at Gamlin's Law, so we're a, a leading regional law firm in North Wales, and I'm also the Managing Director of HR Anchor, so a HR and consultancy firm as well. So I've been in the employment industry for over 10 years. Um, I advise predominantly businesses, um, often day to on, day, on their HR and employment law issues, and a substantial portion of those issues often relate to mental health issues as well. So um, why does it need to be a problem for businesses? And why is it something that should really be on on your agendas? Um, As you can see from this slide, um, a Deloitte figure from the last 12 months, that mental health problems in the workplace cost UK employers 45 billion a year. Now, whilst obviously there's a lot of UK employers, that's a significant cost. And it's an an avoidable cost to some extent as well. And we're going to come into sort of what the specific cost to a business can be later on in the presentation. Um, But actually, I thought that was quite a powerful figure there, to see actually how much of a problem um, this can be for for UK employers and why mental health really should be at the top of um, business agendas. Um, Not only is it a financial issue, it's also a legal obligation for employers. Um, So all workers are entitled to work in an environment where risks to their health and safety are properly controlled. Now, the difficulty is you're dealing with a problem that you can't see. It's often something that isn't disclosed, um, which can make things very difficult for an employer. How can you deal with something that you don't know an employee is actually suffering with? And then on the other side, um, there's often this perception where you've got employees that are seen to play at the health card or the disability card. It can be perceived as a nuisance or it's associated with difficult employees, which again is a stigma that we need to get away from um, now when we look at that legal obligation you think well how can you tackle this and you know it <laughs> mental health is pushed down the agenda in, in some respects But, you know, if you were an employer, you would never ask an employee to work from height without the appropriate safeguards, such as harnesses and and hard hats. You'd never ask a lifeguard to carry on with their duties with a broken leg or refuse to repair dangerous equipment in the workplace that could result in somebody, you know, losing perhaps even limbs. The perception, however, for mental health is, as with other hidden disabilities, is that it's a bit different and it's something that is not seen to be the employer's problem um, often until it's it's become a real issue that's much harder to resolve. Now, often employers are surprised as well that mental health conditions such as depression are often classed as disabilities. So when we have a look at that, the legal definition of what a disability is, in the employment world, that's very different from classifying something as a disability for the purpose of benefits, or perhaps for motability, for people who have motability cars, It's it's quite a simple definition, what it is, is if someone is suffering with a physical or mental condition that's likely to last more than 12 months and affects their day-to-day life, in the employment world, they are likely to be classed as somebody who has a disability. Now, if somebody meets that condition, and depression is often held um, as an example of one condition that is held to be um, often a, a disability, then they're caught by the Equality Act, which means that they're protected from things like discrimination um, and, and poor treatment at work. And often then there's, there's an obligation to make reasonable adjustments for that employee. Now, we'll come on to that in more detail, but I did want to at this point just flag that definition to you. That it's, So it's in, in what we're talking about with mental health. So a mental condition that's lasted more or is likely to last more than 12 months that impacts someone's day-to-day life. So, when we look at how it can go wrong at work, um, there's, there's quite a busy slide this, but we're going to just work through it so you can sort of see how it goes wrong and, and how it can cost your business. So, first of all, the really obvious one is absenteeism. So, when people are off work. Now, if you're a small employer with um, just a handful of employees, one employee on long term sick can have a de- devastating impact for your business. That's a huge resource that could be out of the workplace for some significant time. So not only does absenteeism put a strain on on your business, it also puts a strain on the remainder of your workforce. So with having to have other colleagues who are picking up um, work perhaps for somebody who's off or trying to find temporary relief, um, so that might mean bringing in temps or agency workers, it's an additional strain on your workforce. It can also affect um, relationships with other staff members. So if someone is seen as as never being in work or they seem to be off all the time, um, that can often impact the way that staff members perceive um, the person who's off, and it can cause issues and strains on relationships in the workplace. Management time as well, dealing with absence processes. So once somebody's been off for a certain amount of time where their absence starts to become long term, then that needs to be dealt with under an absence management procedure. So that means checking in with that individual, perhaps holding absence management meetings, referring them to their GP and occupational health. And all of that takes management time and it takes the line managers and management's attention off the things that they should be doing day to day in the business. And often absenteeism is something that in my experience, line managers really struggle with and it's something where often things can go very wrong in a process that can result potentially in legal claims. And then finally staff turnover in terms of absenteeism, so if someone's been off long term for quite a while it may be that they end up down an absence management process that results in their employment being terminated. Um, Or it could well be that an employee decides that the workplace has made them ill, it's no longer um, a good place to be for their mental health and they may well decide to leave. And staff turnover not only is it A challenge for particularly smaller companies um, but also depending on your sector and where you're based as well it it can put a real strain in terms of finding the right people again to fill those gaps. So what comes out of of, of the stuff I've just discussed particularly that absence management um, process and you know people being on and off work um, comes the risk of a constructive dismissal claim. So ultimately, if you don't deal with somebody appropriately at work, if you um, either breach your own absence management procedures or you breach what's called the implied contractual term of trust and confidence, um, if an employee doesn't feel they've been dealt with fairly, then you could be landed with a constructive dismissal claim. A constructive dismissal claim is where an employee resigns and says that you, as their employer, have breached their contract of employment. Now, there's a couple of ways that could come about. It might be that they raise a grievance about the way they've been they've been treated, um, or perhaps about how their mental health has been treated at work, or how you know, they've been personally dealt with. And if they don't feel that grievance has been dealt with appropriately, then that could lead to a resignation. Further, if an employee thinks that um, the workplace isn't safe for their mental health, and that actually um, the workplace is causing them health issues and their mental health is deteriorating, they notify you of that that could be classed as a health and safety disclosure or a protected disclosure and again if that isn't dealt with properly that could lead to a constructive dismissal claim now employment claims can often have quite a lot of collateral damage there's a lot of finger pointing so often colleagues line managers senior managers get get the finger pointed at them and an element of blame landed on them. Um, People get dragged into employment claims as witnesses. And at the moment, claims rumble on for about 12 to 18 months. So it's a significant disruption for your business. Now, even if someone has reached the point where, where they're either considering or have brought a claim, that also then has an impact on the people who are having to be involved in that litigation and certainly can have have an impact in terms of their stress levels at work as well so whilst um, if someone has resigned um, you know you, you may feel well the problem is gone often it hasn't and um, more seriously than constructive dismissal perhaps is a disability discrimination claim and I'll come on to why that's potentially a more serious claim um, in terms of actually you know, being sued for disability discrimination. There's company image and ethos issues. So particularly if you have got a reputation or a brand image where you're putting yourself out as an employer who um, cares about their employees or has mental health at the forefront of your, you know, your company mission, a disability discrimination claim on the base of mental health is never going to look particularly good for your business. Not to mention on top of that, the defense costs as well. So a disability discrimination claim can come out of an employee saying that um, you haven't made appropriate reasonable adjustments um, for them at work. So with someone who's got mental health issues, that could be anything from modified start times to um, changes to the work environment, uh, extensions to the absence management process, you know, and it and it's as unique as the facts of, of the individual that, that you're dealing with. Um, so that, that could really extend to anything. Um, But really, and part of the reason why we're we're doing this presentation is that we want to stop these issues before they get to that point. If you've got an employee who's threatening to resign, who um, is thinking about bringing a constructive dismissal claim or is alleging disability discrimination, the chances are that the relationship has already started to deteriorate and there are already things that you could have been doing um, to, to mitigate the situation from getting as far as this. So what could it actually cost you? Um, you know, what, what's your bottom line going to look like if, if one of these claims were to hit you? So for constructive dismissal, it's up to a year's salary plus the equivalent of a redundancy payment. That's called a basic award. So um, for somebody who's been with you several years, that could be quite a significant payment. The discrimination, uh, the claims are actually uncapped. So it comes down to um, how serious that a judge thinks that a discrimination has been, and how and how poor the behaviour has been, um, and the impact that that has had on the employee. Um, so often you see in the newspaper when you read about large employment claims where people are claiming significant figures, you'll often find that either there's a pension claim in there or it's a discrimination claim on top of that you've also then got to consider legal costs now the average defense cost this is what you'll pay a solicitor to defend your business um, is around ten thousand pounds plus VAT however your worst case scenario could be well over a hundred thousand pounds I've actually defended a very large company um, over the last four to five years the litigation still ongoing it's been going since 2016 um, It is a discrimination claim and the legal costs are over a hundred thousand pounds for that claim because of the number of claims and the number of allegations allegations that are being brought against that employer so it doesn't need to cost you a fortune there's small steps that you can take for a better workplace to support somebody with their mental health a good first stop is um, anonymous surveys with employees Um, so really engaging them on the issue and getting buy-in from them to find out what's needed Um, and often what comes out of that is that you can get project champions so people who really want to run with um, any Any projects or any ideas Um, and particularly if you can get buy-in from employees if you can get something run by somebody within the staff you tend to get better engagement from staff members as well. That doesn't need to be a complicated process but finding out what it is that employees think they need at work, what they believe might be lacking and particularly if it's confidential you're more likely to get honest responses from employees with, with a survey such as that. In terms of some quick fixes and what we've seen with, um, certainly with clients, of ours is employees saying that there's nowhere to get quiet space at work, that at work they feel like they're on a treadmill, there's no break up to the day, even though they've got a lunch hour, the phone's constantly going, there's people constantly asking them questions, Um, they're always needed to deal with something and there's no break from that. And it's certainly something, particularly my job, it's a very demanding job, um, you do feel that there's no sort of quiet head space often and and you feel that you, you do actually just need a bit of quiet time. So putting aside if you've got the room, um, the ability for a bit of quiet space, either for somebody to go and work quietly or to go and take a coffee break on their own and just enjoy a bit of peace and quiet away from the phone ringing and emails, emails binging during the day. Have a look to see if you can put a peer support structure in place. Um, Now, the the instant um, sort of suggestion that people think of when they think of peer support is um, assigning line managers or senior managers and they wonder why the uptake isn't particularly great and they say, well, no one's called on them, no one's asked for help. Now, what you often find subject to your your company's... um, ethos and structure and perhaps how people communicate is sometimes people don't want to talk to senior managers. They don't necessarily want to talk to a line manager. And if it is a case of peer support and just wanting to talk to somebody, often somebody on their own level or even lower down in the business can can be a more appropriate peer supporter. Um, So again, having a look at whether that structure would work for you and how, how best that would work for your business. Mental health first aiders is another one. Um, You know, there's some great initiatives out there in terms of providing either external mental health first aiders or training up people within your own businesses as well. So not only does that show that you're taking mental health seriously within the workplace, um, but if there are any sort of serious issues that have gone unnoticed or there's underlying issues, um, you know, having those sorts of steps in place can really help bring this to the forefront and it can help more open conversations as well within your workforce. Because mental health is often, is, you know, a hidden disability and it's often a thing people don't really like to talk about, what you want to try and progress towards is a workplace where people do feel that they can be open, that they can disclose these things without feeling judged and that they feel that they'll be supported whilst they're at work. And that's something that many companies have a real challenge with. So, there was no one who would listen to me. I couldn't get anyone to understand how I, spe- how I was feeling. Now, this is something that we see over and over and over again, in particularly in grievances. where you often get a small problem or something that someone's been struggling with, um, but because they feel that there was no one who could listen to them and no one who would understand how they were feeling, that problem's grown all out of proportion. So when dealing with things like grievances, um, what we often see is employees who go, no, we've got this, um, we've got this procedure, this person listened to the grievance, we wrote to them, we had a meeting with them, um, there was no evidence of it, so we rejected it, and, and I don't understand why they're dissatisfied with the process. That employee doesn't feel any more listened to, um, purely because you've gone through that process. So the key here is really training those people who deal with grievances um, to listen to the problems and understand what the underlying issue is. Um, Often when someone raises a grievance um, or a complaint, there's, there's relatively straightforward ways of resolving some of those issues, and often it is that people don't feel listened to and they don't feel understood. So the key with this is not simply just following your your on-paper procedure, but making sure that those people who are engaging in those procedures um, are able to to listen to what's being said to them and and try and get to the bottom of things. Now, mediation and things like that are are massively underused um, within the employment um, sector. So I'm a litigator, I deal a lot with litigation, and often when something lands on my desk and someone's already issued proceedings, and you read through the story of what's gone on it's glaringly obvious that actually things could have been resolved at a much earlier stage and what you end up with is a very entrenched and angry employee that just doesn't feel like like they've been made to either feel important or that the issues that they've raised haven't haven't been haven't been properly considered now mediation is a means of resolving things like that earlier on so it is something that that definitely you know when when you're looking at things like mental health um that can save a lot of pain for a lot of people within your company because it's a much more conciliatory process perhaps in litigation probably shouldn't say this I'm doing myself out of lots of of, you know fantastic legal fees Um, but I very much am an advocate of of mediation and think that it's that it's something that should be utilized more within businesses so in terms of how you can show your employees that that you want to make um, a change and how you're going to you know take mental health um, initiatives forward in your in your in your company and with your workforce and what we um, often advise is that you have a mission statement or a commitment that you're going to make to your workforce as to how you're going to to deal with um, mental health going forward Um, so things you know in in that statement might be that you're here to listen that you will provide peer support that you won't be judgmental if someone needs to talk about a mental health issue That there will be staff involvement in how policies are put together. So it's not just a senior manager writing it or someone removed from the company. And that there will be resources available for employees. Now, those don't need to be expensive resources. You know, we talked about having a quiet room available. And particularly, you know, when you've got something like Everymind out there on the market and that's available for for employees, you know, it's a fantastic resource. um, Having things like that available for staff. Now, when you're putting um, your mission statement or your commitment statement together, that's again something that you can involve employees in in a survey. So, you know, what is it that you feel we should be committing to you? What what do you want us to be, um, you know, signing our name to, to say that we're taking this seriously and and that these are steps that you want? So, again, getting employee buy-in into that process and into that statement, again, is a good way of showing them that it's something that you're taking seriously. And then following up on that, just having that statement isn't enough. You need to demonstrate that that you are gonna continue to take these matters seriously and that you are there to listen and that you're gonna essentially honor everything that you've said. So when you're doing your statement, have a good look at your culture. Because if you're saying we're here to listen, but you've got a closed door policy and that people have to book three weeks ahead to have a conversation with a line manager, have a consideration about how what you're saying and if that actually fits with your culture. And if the reality is that you're unable to change your culture or or you know it's going to be a long working process, then make sure that your statement fits with your business and that it evolves with your business over time. So as you improve your culture, that perhaps you update your statements and again keep your staff involved in that as the process evolves. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're here as well. So, um, particularly for for stressed um, HR managers during this time. Um, so, if you do have any questions about your workforce, um, if you do have any questions about employment law, we do offer Zoom coffee breaks. I very much miss having coffee breaks with um, people within my network and new people um, in, into the, the employment network. Um, so, we don't charge for these. But if you do feel like either you're a HR person wants to blow off a bit of steam, um, or you have any questions, then please don't hesitate to, to drop us a line, and, and we can have a zoom coffee um, so i've kept it relatively brief today we've we've had a bit of an overview about lots of things and um, purely because then we want to make sure that we can um, have a bit of a discussion afterwards and that we can take some questions um, so i'm going to hand back to paul and um, yeah i look forward to, to answering any questions that you may have
0: excellent thank you i really appreciate that um very interesting even for me who's someone who normally doesn't like law i know zoe was probably eating i love it presentation. <laughs> <laughs> um but no really appreciate you obviously sharing and there's plenty of questions coming in as i'm sure there's going to be as well around a subject like this um so i want to kind of get to those to begin with but i also equally wanted to touch on one of the points that you mentioned about those kind of quick wins Now, from a sort of legal perspective, we've obviously seen a rise in cases around employees taking legal action against their employer if they don't feel supported with their mental health. Um, When it comes to a business, If a business was to have, let's say, an employee assistance program and they get a speaker in a mental health awareness week throughout the year, and that's their mental health strategy. If you compare that to another business that maybe takes a more proactive approach has champions, mental health first aiders, you know, potential other solutions for mental health, does that really go in that business's favor? Like, what's the difference here? Is there a big difference if a business does a lot more when it comes to mental health, if a case ever arises?
2: It certainly does, because what you tend to see where you've got someone who um, they do mental health week, they get some speakers in and they go, right, we've ticked that box for the year. The reality is if someone were to get taken to tribunal and, um, you know, the company said, well, no, we can't possibly um, have treated someone badly. We do this once a year. The reality is a judge would go, well, hang on, in that initiative you said that you will proactively do X, Y, and Z, you'll do this, and that actually mental health is important. The reality is you haven't done anything other than having a speaker in. Whereas even if someone doesn't have a policy, they don't have um, you know, expensive speakers coming in and things like that, but an employer can say, well, look, these people who are available to talk to, um, we have this system in place, there is this room, you know, quiet room they can go to if they need to take a break from their, from, from their work. Those proactive steps that are practically mm-hmm. useful are going to go much more in, in the employer's favor in terms of showing that they're proactively trying to do something. Now say if someone has quite an unusual issue or an unusual condition or something that um, those steps aren't going to help, in terms of a credibility point when the employer says well look we did everything that we possibly could have done with the knowledge that we had showing that you you, you take practical steps more often as a matter of course is going to lend you more credibility in terms of what you're able to say on a legal argument particularly with things like reasonable adjustments yeah
0: and i think that's that's so, that's so you know, I always kind of say with businesses, you can never mental health is so individual. Right. And you're never going to yeah. have the perfect strategy and solution that solves everyone's mental health problems. You know, even even the government can't do that. Right. So it's <laughs> it's we can't even look after our own mental health for a lot of the time. So, you know, but as a business, there's so much more that yeah. you could potentially do to better support your employees um, and, you know, and focusing on what you can do and focusing on the strategy behind that, rather than saying, Mm -hmm. we've got an employee assistance program. We don't need to worry about mental health. So I know you've probably got lots of questions as well. Yeah, can I
1: ask what one, and then we'll we'll roll through all, all the questions because I can see quite quite a few there. I, I was just wondering, Alyssa, we have been doing some work on um, mental health risk assessments, and so from an HR perspective, you know, I'm very familiar with things like a stress risk assessments so of somebody's off long term sick. You know that they're they're citing work related stress. I, I'm I'm familiar with doing. A, a stress risk assessment, but what we've been looking and we've been seeing more frequently these mental health risk assessments come up, um, and I'm just sort of wondering, from a, I guess from a legal perspective um, and the health, you know, the health and safety exec, would would that be? something that would be say once a year and as long as you followed up on the actions or from your experience is that something that, that needs to be almost done on an individual basis or that the example that we we saw was a company-wide mental health risk assessment which looked like um, it was going to be carried out once a year um, and it was for the company not for one individual or you know doing it sort of person by person does that make sense?
2: Yeah, so often risk assessments, regardless of what they're assessing, are done on a Mm company-wide basis. I mean, if there are any health and safety experts, they might might sort of correct Mm -hmm. me, but that's generally the way I see it. Um, You know, and yes, we are seeing much more mental health risk assessments coming out. So what I would always say is a good thing to do is have your company-wide one, but then where you have any individual or particular risks with any individuals to have a tailored assessment for them. So, again, you're understanding what they're needs are what the risks might be either in the workplace for that individual or any steps you might need to take are particular to that person um so really drill down um if if there's a you know there's an example or a circumstance that that requires it essentially but certainly you know having a company-wide one is fine what I would say is you know once a year is also fine um but if there were anything that changes in the workplace so for example you might have done one last December um and then okay, COVID happened yeah. and I would be saying Assessing the risk assessment where you've got a global pandemic, yeah. for example. Um, you know, we used to do those sorts of things like, oh, that'll never happen. Um, so, what I'd say is, you know, where there are any big events or anything like that that might change that risk assessment is to make sure that it is updated yeah. and that any actions that come out of it are looked at yeah. as well. Cool. Yeah,
0: that, that's great. Um, so, we're going go to go to some of these questions. Tony has asked um, Hi, when it comes to reasonable adjustments, I know every situation is going to vary, but is the adjustment a temporary measure or does it need to be a permanent adjustment if the disability warrants it?
2: Okay, so in general terms, that reasonable adjustment needs to stay in place for as long as it's going to be required by the employee. So if you had an... an... You know, I'm going to sort of flip this on its head a bit and go. You know, when I gave those examples about people with physical disabilities, so if you had somebody who was a wheelchair user and um, you needed to put ramps into the workplace, they're always going to be permanent adjustments because they're always going to be needed by that employee who's in the wheelchair. Um, similar sort of rationale then when you're looking at this for someone with mental health issues. Whilst people might have ups and downs in their mental health, they might have periods where they're feeling better um, and f- periods when they're feeling very, very low. Um, if you were to take those adjustments away when when they're in, you know, a, a good week, um, you could end up actually setting somebody back or impacting their mental health in a negative mm-hmm. way. So when you're implementing reasonable adjustments, it should very much be in consultation with the employee to see what they need. if an employee says, actually, you know what, I think in six months, You know, my doctor's saying with these various steps in place, I might be, you know, on the road to recovery and feeling a bit better. um, Then review it with them in six months. Don't just take that support away. Um, But when you're looking at implementing them, I'd say for budget reasons and um, for forecasting and things like that, presume they're permanent. Mm. Because what you don't want to be doing is getting to a point where perhaps you're reviewing budgets and things like that. And you go, oh, well, that's only temporary. We can get rid of it. And you land yourself back in hot water again.
0: Nice. Cool. There's lots of questions here, so I'm just going to rattle them off if you don't mind this. <laughs> um, Wendy asked a question about mental health first aid. Is the plans to do it. Um. I think that's been answered, Wendy. But yeah, there's definitely online versions of mental health first aid training. Also, I would equally recommend a champion scheme, more of a proactive approach, getting biz- people within the business to champion mental health. Um. Sometimes mental health first aid still has that almost reactive approach to it as well. So I would definitely maybe consider champions. Um. George says, How can you ensure fairness and impartiality if an employee has a mental issue that could lead to an incapacity inquiry where human resources and management often put profits ahead of well being?
2: ensuring impartiality is never something that you can guarantee when you're dealing dealing with internal processes I'd say you know my simplest answer for that is going to be staff training um, you know and making sure that you you, your staff are equipped in terms of the resources that you've given them um, for dealing with these sorts of issues what I'd say is you know 10 years ago um, mental health in the workplace was nowhere near what it is now Um, you know the the skills that you're requiring from line managers and HR is 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 a different skill set really and making sure that that you keep them skilled up um and, and you know regular training and things like that and you know where where you've got processes and you've got managers who are obviously dealing with things in a biased way or There's evidence they're not dealing with it properly is making sure that as a business that you deal with that and show that that's not the culture you're prepared to promote and it some difficult decisions being taken um and you know perhaps even ultimately disciplinary measures because if you know if someone is is subverting um a, a company process and, and being biased that that's a serious allegation um but you know the core i would say there is awareness and staff training i mean um zoe you might have something to add to that perhaps
1: yeah I, I think i think that's all you can really do isn't it and and, and make sure that um I, I think from if you've got sort of leadership saying you know oh we we, we can't afford to do this or, or whatever it might be i think it is a, a big education piece around um them realizing the consequences if if, if if they don't almost like comply with you know with those measures too i think it's um uh, uh, yeah, often sort of re- return on investment and all of that comes into it, doesn't it? But I think we've seen that if you don't invest that 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 time into into doing it properly and and you're all on board for it, it's um, yeah, it it it, it's, it can be very difficult. So I think it, there is a big education piece there, definitely. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, this is a really good point by Lizzie. The key to this is great managers and humanising the workplace so that people feel comfortable to bring their whole self to work. Yeah, We do a lot of work on that in terms of changing and improving culture, normalising conversations in the workplace. As um, Zuri said, education is key to all of this. We're not educated on on mental health and there's a lack of understanding around it and the language that we use. So, so really, I think there's a, a, an argument around looking at the complete culture of the business. And how do you go from where you currently are potentially a silent, environment mm. that you don't believe there's a mental health issue because no one's talking about it but from our experience that just means stigma exists in your workplace because people don't feel comfortable to talk about it you know and then reacting when when a situation like this arises to to having early conversations and proactive approaches to mm. really try and create that culture um you know as as Alyssa mentioned so we don't get to these cases that we're discussing here today as well
1: yeah um because a lot a couple lot, of
0: other a lot of things
1: as well are 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 just you know it it, some of it isn't rocket science is it It, it, it's just great people processes and 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 a supportive culture isn't it and i think you know when you look at something like a mental health risk assessment you'll see a lot of content in there around you know is is the purpose of the role clear have they got clarity around you know their objectives are they getting feedback you know are the hours um you know sensible are the work expectations sensible you know all of that are, are just great people practices that you would expect but if that's missing from you know the environment and the culture and and everything that in itself can can just exacerbate the problem can't it so you know I think a lot of it is about Mm -hmm. having you know some great people basics in place so that you don't even get to a point where you know you're having a a huge issue because I think I found that you know, this sort of work-related stress or, or anything like that. There's, there's always something going on underneath. You know, you peel back the layers, um, and, and there's always something that, that you can pinpoint it on. Um, which you yes. know, as as a business, you you can always you can always address. Usually, it's just putting the effort mm-hmm. in, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, Nicola's got a question, and then there's another question that I really want to highlight because it's a question that I wanted to ask as well. Um, I, I've got no HR background, guys, so um, I might get this question wrong. This doesn't make any sense to me. Um, are reasonable adjustment passports helpful and useful in mitigating if in an ET?
2: Um, so for those who don't know what um, a reasonable adjustment passport is, it's not something that we, we necessarily that, see that regularly. Um, so it's a live record of the adjustments that have been agreed between an employee and um, a manager to support them at work because of a disability. Um, so in terms of an employment tribunal, they're a good evidential record of what's being agreed. Um, I mean where would those if you've agreed to put them in place and you've got a reasonable adjustments passport in place, if someone was bringing a failure to bring a reason, a failure to make reasonable adjustments claim, um, it might be perhaps that you haven't complied with what's been agreed in the passport or that there's other needs that um, haven't been agreed to. So they might want they might want something that you think is not reasonable. Um, so in terms of a reasonable adjustment argument, it would certainly help. Um, but with a standard discrimination claim because within disability discrimination there's various different claims that you can make so you've got direct discrimination, indirect discrimination, discrimination arising from disability, harassment and victimisation which both come out of the Equality Act as well as well as a reasonable adjustments claim. So whilst passport might well help with um, your reasonable adjustments argument um, there are several other claims that are often brought in conjunction with a reasonable adjustments claim. Um, So it's useful evidence perhaps to show that you have taken some steps but depending on the claims that are brought it probably only goes so far to helping So I hope that answers that question yeah
0: that made sense to me as well so it's <laughs> definitely a good answer Liam um, says how can businesses be looking to support staff whose children or family members are struggling with mental health due to COVID and then this causes stress anxiety changes in personal circumstances um, for the staff member without adding pressures to the rest of the workforce um, I would say from our perspective of that it is you know, doing all you can as a business to support them and in turn them support their, their families. Um, I know that a lot of initiatives will extend the support they offer to family members as well. So um, as an example, our app could be used by, by family members if, if it was something that you thought would be beneficial. And I know a lot of them, employee assistance programs or private medical insurance also extend to friends and families as well. Um, but I do think as well in terms of, as we say from an employer point of view, mental health is, is far more complex than we give it sort of the, the um, understanding of. You know, we, we kind of believe that it's, it's just something that we can just offer and then that helps that employee and that helps their friends, their family. I think as a business, as long as you're comfortable and confident that you're doing as much as you possibly can with initiatives and extending that to family and friends, um, you know, there's, there's only, of course, so much that you can do as well. Um, Jennifer asked the question, which is the one that I wanted to touch on because it's one that I get asked a lot as well. How would you deal with an employee who says they have depression and anxiety and continue to not show up or is off wo- for work or is late? Um, we have went through a grievances and also met for an informal chat. We offered to change shifts and offer counseling, but that she has refused all help. We mentioned that it's okay if she's not having a good day and feels that she can't come in once she gives us notice to provide cover, however, continues to just not show up or ringing early enough manager now wants to let her go and i'm Mm -hmm. sure lots of people can relate to this situation i've been there before Mm -hmm. you know when does it become an issue where we're trying to continue to support them over their mental health and when does it become an issue where in a way we're looking at it in terms of performance a business Mm -hmm. decision and where do we sort of stand when it comes to the legal point of view as well
2: Okay, this is a really common query. It's actually sort of the bread and butter work of employment lawyers um, is you know long-term sickness absence and, and dealing with that. Um, so I'm going to deal with this in you know this, in the same context as if this was someone who was off with a physical disability because the legal principles are essentially the same. So if you had someone who was off with um, you know a, f- a physical illness or a physical difficulty that meant that they can't do their job. As an employer, you've looked at making reasonable adjustments, you've tried to support that person, you've tried to manage their absence, and you've gone through fair processes in those in, in those respects. Once you've exhausted your procedures, and it's clear that you know a reasonable employer couldn't do anything else to help this person or to help keep them in work, then you can proceed to a fair dismissal. So capability is one of the potentially fair reasons someone can be dismissed for. So if someone was going to bring an unfair dismissal claim, as an employer, you can justify that dismissal if it was for conduct, capability, redundancy, some other substantial reasons. We call those SOSR dismissals, um, or um, there's, there's another um, one that, that relates to sort of regulatory reasons as well. But here, with what we're focusing on is capability. Now, if you've got someone who isn't um, ringing up at the right time or said they're going to come in and they're just not turning in, then depending on the procedures that you've got in place, that could potentially even be a conduct issue because that's a breach of your policies and a breach of your procedures. Um, So there's a couple of avenues there and where employers tend to make a bit of a mess of it is they're not entirely sure under what policy or what procedure they're dealing with it. Is it a conduct issue or is it capability? So you need to be very clear and make sure you're taking advice on what's the proper procedure to use because what you don't want to do is actually go, Well, look, we followed a procedure and we did this only to be told by a judge, but hang on, you dismissed for conduct when it was clearly a capability issue and essentially that you dismissed for the wrong fair Mm -hmm. reason, which can be very frustrating. So making sure that you're following those procedures um, properly. Now, where you've got someone who is phoning in and saying, look, I'm not able to attend and they're playing ball and they're following the procedures as they should be doing, if it's someone who's off on long-term sick, so we'll take depression as an example, they're off on long-term sick with depression, you've engaged with occupational health, you've engaged with the GP, you've offered different start times, you've offered remote working, Um, you've had discussions about um, perhaps things that might help them and they're just saying, no none of this is going to help I just don't see myself coming back to work when you're getting into that that realm of facts then you're likely to be on your way towards a capability dismissal with that person What I say to my clients is anything around long-term sick is always going to be high risk. If someone's been off long-term, we're getting into that disability definition of of, that that 12-month period. Um, We need to be handling it with kid gloves. We need to be quite careful with this. And we need to be fair as well. We're dealing with humans. We're dealing with with individuals um, who are going to have to deal with the fallout of potentially losing their job as well. So, what I would say is if you're on track towards that dismissal and you're dealing with it properly, make sure that you're also dealing with that person in a supportive manner as well. Is there anything you can refer them to um, to sort of soften the blow of that dismissal eventually when it does come? Um, But certainly, just because somebody um, has a disability doesn't mean that they can't be dismissed. Um, It's just making sure that you deal with it fairly and and follow your proper procedures. If you don't have absence management procedures in place, then there's the ACAS code that you can follow. Um, or I would say make sure that you're engaging either with your HR, if you don't already have HR, have a look who, who's out there on the marketplace who can help you as well.
0: Amazing. Good answer. Um, Nicola just said, is that the same with sporadic absences as well?
2: It is, yeah. So if you've got someone who, um, you know, we, sometimes we say they've got Mondayitis, so someone's off every single Monday um, and they're always down the pub, not so much these days because we're not allowed to go to the pub. Um, But uh, with those sorts of things, you can, yes, you can deal with them under an absence management policy. So um, often where you've got people who um, have been off sporadically or have been off regularly, um, you, you typically have absence triggers. So they get a written warning, then they get a formal warning, final written warning, and ultimately if their absence continues to be poor, again, you can get to dismissal. Now, if someone's got a disability in terms of a reasonable adjustment to that process, it might mean that you add a few stages so they get a bit more time. Uh, perhaps to improve their their, um, their absences or perhaps that the triggers don't kick in quite as quickly. Um, but certainly, yes, for sporadic absences, you can deal with it in, in pretty much the same way.
0: So um, conscious of time, um, there's one thing that I wanted to touch on and then um, we'll, we'll wrap up. I don't know if you've seen it. Or I don't know if any of you have seen it on this session today. The France Telecom case that um, happened. Now, the France Telecom case, if you do a little Google for I'm surprised not not enough um, people know about this. I was monitoring this end of last year. Um, They were actually fined due to 39 cases of employees. 19 of them sadly took their own life, 12 of them had attempted, and uh, many others had lived with depression. And it was all due to poor culture. It was all due to a restructuring within the organization. And interestingly, the company was fined, but equally three executives were personally made liable, sentenced, and fined as well. So the chief executive, also the HR director, and one other as well. And my kind of question to you, Alyssa, is, is do we see this becoming a little bit more common if this case has now happened? Um, you know, is, is, is this likely to happen more if employers don't do more for mental health?
2: Um, I would say so going forward, particularly with um, now the the prevalence of conversations around mental health and, um, you know, the encouragement of people, you know, being said, look, don't be embarrassed, don't feel judged, come forward, talk about your mental health. you know, companies have got to treat this like a real health and safety issue, which is what it is. You know, if you had a defect in your machinery at work, you were aware of that defect and did nothing about it and it killed someone, you're going to be on, on track for a corporate manslaughter case uh, and you're going to end up with directors in prison. Um, it's When I was a trainee, it's one of the first cases I ever worked on was one of the first corporate manslaughter cases. These things are real. It's a very real risk. Um, so, um, and one thing that the Health and Safety Executive look at when they're levelling fines and whether they're deciding whether a company should face the Crown Court is, you know, were they aware of this issue and what did they do to try and to try the ultimate sort of, you know, accident or problem didn't happen. Um, And I do suspect we're gonna see much more of this now with with health and safety, particularly where you've got very toxic workforces, where you've got employees, you know, off on long-term sick, or you've got people off with, with mental health disabilities, and particularly where you've got doctors who are prepared to put their names to reports to say, this was caused by the workplace. You know, this employee with significant mental health difficulties, that was caused by the workplace. And we are seeing doctors' reports like that. Um, And I'd say it's only a matter of time before we do see more and more cases that could potentially involve the health and safety executive and, and, you know, more senior managers and directors in court as well.
0: Amazing. So um, just to finish up, guys, Sharon, yes, this will be recorded. Um, I definitely think it's something you should show your manager. Um, We'll definitely Mm -hmm. send it all out as well. Just to kind of finish up in terms of terms of every mind. I know Alyssa and Gamlin's Law, they are one of our clients. We support their employees. We've seen a couple of people on here. We've got Kelly from Waits. We've got we've got. Mando's we've got Deanne we've got a couple of others as well but if you want to find out a little bit more about every mind providing mental health support in your employees pockets via our mobile app and at the same time partnering with you as a business to help you improve mental health develop strategy and try and sort of help revolutionize mental health within your workplace definitely reach out to us it's completely customized to you as well it's 24 7 And if you want to go for a personal demo with even me or someone from my team, happy to offer that to you as well. And we're actually doing a three-month free trial, which actually ends January 1st. So if you go to this link between now and the end of this year, um, better to do it now, right? Before you forget, three months free, no obligation to continue, no setup fee, cancel anytime. Use it, get some feedback from your employees. If you like it, then of course it'd be great to partner with you, but that trial is there for you. Um, all we need to do is go to everymindatwork.com forward slash inquire to find out a little bit more about this too. So um, Alyssa, just from me and the team, and by the looks of the comments coming in, um, we're really grateful for your time today, really grateful for your expertise as well. Um, where can people find out a little bit more about you if they want to reach out to as well?
2: Um, again, just thanks very much for having me on I've really enjoyed it um, it's been great to see so many people engaging Um so if you want to find out a bit more about me I'm more than happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn um, so just search for me as Alyssa Thursfield. you'll find me under Gamlins or HR Anchor um, or if you have a look on our Gamlins website so it's Gambling's G-A-M-L-I-N-S or if you Google HR Anchor you can find me there as well
0: amazing and then finally guys as well um, we do these sessions once a month currently every last Wednesday of the month at 1 p.m. so now you've signed up at once we'll remind you of the next session and what the topic and feedback is going to be on that one um but they're there for you to give you that free advice that free value as well and we do that as i say last wednesday at 1 p.m if you want to share that with some of your hr friends um then definitely share that out as well everymindatwork.com forward slash live training I do believe we've got a lot of HR Ninjas on here as well. Definitely just say,
1: yeah. and don't, me and, and to recommend. Yeah, don't, don't forget, guys, if you haven't joined the HR Ninja group on Facebook, join it because it's awesome. So the brilliant Liz Hanson has founded that group. And I think we're at over 10,000 members now. It's absolutely awesome. Loads and loads of great information on there um, and a really supportive group. So if you haven't already joined it, get onto Facebook and, uh, and join a lot of ninjas it. on there look at all these ninjas flying yeah, in ninja. i know
0: i know liz was on the session i don't know if liz is still oh, here sorry. But yeah, um, yeah oh
1: cool yeah,
0: def- yeah definitely join that group as well because all of this you know it's about i i've learned i'm not in this this industry but like i said i've got a huge passion on mental health and i certainly believe a lot of overwhelm exhaustion is, is being sort of put onto HR professionals right now and I just really disagree with when staff morale is down or we need to do something with mental health they just look at the HR team and say let's yeah. do something about this you know mental yeah. health is far more complex than just putting it on yeah. one or two people and that's the reason why we're here and I know that's the reason why um, Liz started yeah. that group as well yeah so I mean, um, Alyssa really appreciate it, it as well um, it, yeah, HR I, ninjas Kelly
1: yeah hey John, if, if you google it i'm uh, not google it i'm, I'm, I'm so i'm tacky on i paul if you put it into the search engine on facebook literally h on ninja it comes up with it with the ninja icon um but uh yeah and it's um and 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 it's liz henson that founded that so you know feel free to connect with uh with, with liz too um i was just thinking Alyssa, if there's anything else that you think might be um of use to the guys um you know Fact sheet or literature-wise or anything that you that you've already got in in use, we could we could maybe send that out if that would be that would be okay. Definitely
2: have things. Yeah, we we'll put some materials together for to, to people to have
0: a Wonderful, sure. amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alissa. Really thank appreciate you your so time more. and thank you all for joining. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks everyone.
1: You everyone. Bye now.
0: Bye.